0: Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' greatest teachings compiled uh, into one compilation. He probably spoke this many times in many different villages, which is why through the Synoptic Gospels, you will see different nuances of the, the same thing that he is saying. The Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. We've been spending this summer going through The Beatitudes, and these are attitudes that we should take as believers, that we should want to live out these attitudes in our faith. And the thing that's not in my notes, but I I felt this morning I wanted to share this and I don't know why I want to share it. um, But. To share like how they are intricately placed by Jesus, they're not random. They're not just like, here's nine Beatitudes and, you know, throw them in any order. It works. No, Jesus actually had a systematic way of presenting these Beatitudes because one leads to the next. It, it, he's he's actually implying as, as we start growing in faith, you start moving through these different elements of the Beatitudes. You're becoming more. You're being transformed. The first four are internal. The last five are External. This is fascinating to me, so I, I, I just want to highlight this today, and as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to reiterate that these are kingdom values. These, is, these are values that Jesus are teaching us live this way, and it's a hard standard. The Beatitudes are hard, The uh, not impossible because through the working of the Holy Spirit, we do that. We're able to live out this faith. They should challenge us. They become a standard of living. And sometimes the values mentioned in God's word doesn't line up necessarily with the world's values. And that's why it would sometimes be a challenge for us. But he says, says, uh, it won't come up on the screen because it wasn't in my notes, but blessed are the poor in spirit. The first beatitude, uh, blessed means to feel fortunate, right, that you feel a, a deep sense of well-being. It comes from an inner joy because of our salvation with God. So, blessed, you're fortunate from the salvation with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, Jesus starts the Beatitudes out with saying, You have to recognize your spiritual poverty. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. Realizing we're broken and we're sinful. And when we realize our spiritual poverty, that's the beginning point, that's the starting point of our faith. Then the next Beatitude is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, when you read the commentaries, the, the 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 mourning part can be obviously any part of our life that we're mourning, but the, the trunk of it—if you think of a tree, the, you know there's the trunk, which is the main, you know, the life of the tree—and they have all these branches, right? So when you talk about being poor in spirit, the trunk of that is you need to be saved, but there's branches, and there's other areas of our life that we feel like there's some spiritual poverty in us. The next one is, blessed are those who who mourn. That's the trunk of it, and the trunk is our sin. That when we realize our spiritual poverty, we actually feel like, I am broken, and I need someone to save me from that. All the things I've tried to have done hasn't worked. Then, once we realize that, we enter the kingdom of God, we've asked Jesus into our life. Now, there should be a bit of grieving over um, our past, over our sin, over our brokenness. We're mourning, maybe even the loss of an old lifestyle. We mourn. That, but it says he comforts us. In other words, once we recognize our sin, he says, I don't want you to stay in shame. I'm going to comfort you. Don't be ashamed anymore. Don't be a victim. I want to move you past this. So that's the progression of the Beatitudes. The third one says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So you're moving from your spiritual poverty, you're mourning over something lost in life. Jesus comforts us, brings us out of that shame. And we enter, a st- we grow And he softens our heart with meekness. Now, remember, when we talked about that, that meekness uh, doesn't mean powerless, doesn't mean no convictions. What it actually means is our strength, our power, our convictions surrendered to God. And now he's the Lord of our life. And so now we leverage our influence for God. We leverage our strength for God. That's what we're not going to be prideful in our strength. We're not going to be Prideful in our knowledge or our theology, we submit all of that to the Lord. That is what meekness is. So it starts with I'm, I'm in spiritual poverty, and then I move. It, uh, I, I move to like a place of like now that I've discovered Jesus. Oh, I got this stuff in my life I want to be healed from. He comforts us, and then he starts maturing us, and says, "I, I need I need the, your strength submitted to me." We become meek, not weak. And there's a difference. The fourth one, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So they will will be filled. It doesn't start with hunger. It starts with spiritual poverty, moves to mourning. Then then we start submitting our strength to the Lord. We realize, wow, the more I submit to him, the more I feel life, the more. And then we now we start hungering for more of God. Are you seeing the progression of the Beatitudes? It's not a random order. So now that he's So God, over time, starts internally working in us. We recognize our spiritual poverty. We mourn over some brokenness in our life. He comforts us. We become meek as we submit our lives to him. Our power is surrendered to him. We start becoming hungry for more of God, and then it starts moving into the realm of other people. He works internally in us, and then it starts uh, bearing fruit external from our lives. Which is the fifth one, which I think Pastor Jeff taught on a a couple weeks ago. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, shown mercy to other people is what he's talking about. And then last week, Michael talked about blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So as we are growing in these internal things, we're expressing Mercy, there's purity in our life as we're living out our faith. We're able to see God in our marriage. We're able to see God in other people. Even if they're not living up to the standards of God, that purity in us, we can see it. We can see God around us, external, like the the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the ways of God. And then today, this one will be up on the screen. This is what we're going to focus on today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now that we're working through these progressions of the Beatitudes, we realize our spiritual poverty. We're mourning over something in our life's sin that he's healing us of. And then we, we move to the place of being comforted through that. We're sur- surrendering our strength to him. We get hungry for more of him. We're, we're discovering being merciful to other people, loving people well. We see the purity of God in our life. And then we be, we become peacemakers from the place of purity. You can't make peace until that purity is in your life. This is very important. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But you're children of God. You actually start believing, I'm a child of God. And your spiritual poverty part, you might not see that yet. As you're working out your faith and living in faith, we might not see yet, I am loved. I, I, as we work through it, we begin to see, and it dawns on us, I'm a child of God. And then next week we'll hit the last beatitude, blessed are those who are peace persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom. But blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaker in the Greek means to be at peace, to make peace, live in peace. It's the opposite of war. Now, most of us here, unless we've been in the military, have not experienced war, war, but he's but we had World War III in our marriages, am I right? Like, we, we've had conflict in our life. None of us are going to be absent of conflict. In fact, I would argue conflict uh, actually enters every realm of our life. If you're married, at some point in your marriage, there's going to be conflict. You're going to have to work through that. You need the opposite of worrying or arguing with your spouse. You're going to need peace in that. If you are, you know, you work somewhere, there's going to be conflict at work. There's going to be some type of resolution, maybe with a coworker, with your boss or a peer or a counterpart to your, your, your career. It could be if you're raising kids and they're in school somewhere in that 13-year period from kindergarten to seniors, there's going to be conflict, maybe with another student. Maybe, you know, your child breaks up with their boyfriend, girlfriend, and now you got to work through that. It could be that you, you don't agree with the curriculum that's being taught. You're going to have conflict in that. Church, church is not exempt from conflict. In fact, I would argue if you're at a church that never has Conflict, you might not be in a healthy place because they're probably avoiding it. Now, if you feel like I finally found the place that 100% aligns with my theology, 100% like I agree with everything the pastor says, you know, if it all, you're in the wrong place. If you find the perfect church, you've heard me say this before, leave because you'll mess it up. But conflict is healthy. Now, let me say that differently. I don't like conflict. None of us do. But I do healthy conflict. I like the outcome of it. I will engage in something uncomfortable. I will engage in difficult conversations because I like the outcome of healthy conflict. Now, there is unhealthy conflict, but there is healthy conflict, too. So I worked up this definition. peace. A peacemaker is this. Someone takes love and works it towards reconciliation between individuals or parties. It's all acts of love working toward reconciliation between individuals or parties. Three areas where we actually produce peace, peacemaker is someone who produces this. Through acts of love, we're producing a peace that's bringing reconciliation. But three areas where we make peace, the most uh Kind of common one that has is more of an internal conflict than it is external, is making friends or maybe dating someone. Right? When you're dating someone, you're putting on your, you you're wanting to act loving, you wanting to put on your best to win them over. You're trying to build a bridge to build trust in a relationship or maybe even a friendship. The conflict is this is a stranger. This is someone who doesn't know me yet. Can I trust them? This is the conflict you're working through making friends or dating someone. The, ex, the next area, which is the one we're going to focus on today, is like having conflict resolution in some area of our life. There's real conflict. There's a disagreement. There's a breakdown in the relationship. There needs to be a reconciliation. There's a restoring of a broken relationship. That's number two. Number three is it might not be something that you are in, but you will be a party to bring you're a mediator between two parties. Right. I've heard this about Jimmy Carter. Like uh, I don't know much about his policies. I was a kid when he was a president. I do remember him, but um Jimmy Carter was known for being a peacemaker between two people who had disagreements. Now, I'm not endorsing him or any of I, I don't know actually a lot about his his politics. However, I know he was known for that. Do you guys remember in April, we had our friend Barat from Kosovo from the nation of Kosovo. He was a Muslim who came to faith, came to Christianity. You know, lives in the United States and he's not a really wealthy person. he's not really well known in our nation uh, he he is uh, not not real well liked in his nation of kosovo because he is primarily Muslim and and they you know conversion is not really well accepted in his nation. However, he comes here and then Washington under the Trump administration, brings Kosovo and another bordering nation together, and they're trying to work out a peace agreement, and they can't make it happen, and they don't know what to do. So Washington calls Barat, says, Will you come to Washington, D.C., and help us reconcile? So here's this guy, no influence, except God makes him a Daniel. He shows up in Washington, D.C., he starts talking between the two nations, because he knows the language. He knows and he realizes, oh, this is all over a a lake of a a lake that's right in the border. Who's going to get the lake? So once he figures that out, he's able to go back to the Trump administration. Here's what's going on. If we can just so they work on it all day long and they have like, I think, till midnight or maybe the next morning before the nation's like. But there is a bitter dispute and, and Barat was able to make peace and actually have the agreement happen. That's a peacemaker for the kingdom of God. So today, I want to quickly highlight, um, I want to talk about what it is or how, how do we work through conflict. And it's going to be very generic, but first I want to talk about what it is not. Because there is peacemaking and there is peacekeeping, and there's a difference. So what peace a peacemaker is not is, number one, it doesn't mean peacekeeping. Do you know what I mean by that? Like a peacekeeper minimizes Avoids conflict, always, you know, doesn't want to bring up what's going on. It doesn't want to talk about the elephant in the room. They don't want to talk about what they're going through. A peacemaker wants to work to solve it, and that's the difference. Peacekeeping is I'm going to be quiet about it because I don't want to make any ruffles. I don't, you know, I don't want to uh, hurt anybody's feelings. This, this is one of the most shocking things to me. That Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace. What do you mean, Jesus? You're called the Prince of Peace. Yes, when we we surrender our lives to him, peace comes to us. The Prince of Peace gives us peace. But we have to submit to him. But a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father and a daughter, against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Why? Because when we submit our life to Jesus, the truth of God's word and the truth of who he is, the truth itself becomes offensive. And peacemaking does not mean peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is, I don't want to work on this. You know, I'd just rather not talk about it. But a peacemaker says, no, Uh, We need to talk about number two, peace um, maker does not mean compromising God's word. I think the church. And the Western cultures, which uh, was Canada, America, Australia, Europe. We've lost our prophetic voice because we've compromised God's truth for the sake of not offending and I don't mean in a mean way, but a peacekeeping is when we compromise kingdom truth for worldly values. And the world's values right now is bringing a lot of confusion. I I would say from gen, from the from the baby boomers up to the millennials and every generation, we are a confused generation because we have lost our prophetic voice to the culture because we've compromised God's truth for the sake of not offending. And so what we've what we have seen is now the church becoming confused about religion, becoming confused about marriage, becoming confused about gender, becoming confused about identity. And so what we've done is we've now tried to adapt the world's ways and say, well, if you feel this way, this is who you are. And it's no longer that we submit or commit and form our lives to the image of God. We are forming um, God to our image. And we've compromised God's truth because I, you know, I don't want to necessarily say, you know, today, if you hold to a traditional view of marriage, it's considered homophobic. And I would say, no, I'm not not homophobic. I just hold to that view. But the fact that you hold it. So what we do is like, well, I don't want to tell somebody my view of marriage if I'm asked. I'm not saying, you know, make waves for the sake of making waves but I'm saying we must stay true to God's word because it's the thing that really, people, really sets people free. It's the truth that you know that sets you free, not the things you feel. Your feelings are great indicators that something's going on, but they're terrible masters. So you need truth to set you free. James tells us the wisdom that comes from heaven. Let me just say there's God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. And the two aren't always compatible. The world sees some of the traditional views of God's word, maybe even question God's word. It sees us as nonsense, a resurrected savior. People can't rise from the dead. God doesn't live among us. There are many gods, the world would say, or maybe science is the new new God. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem wise. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, Then peace-loving. It's interesting, even in, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, the pure in heart, then the peacemaker. Because if you're a peacemaker without the purity, you'll confuse people. If, if we don't hold to, like, what does God's word say about this situation? What does God's word say about this ish- issue? It's like, you know what, I just want peace. Let's not talk about the issue. Let's just be, let's just not talk about those things. But wisdom that comes from heaven's first of all, pure. Then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, Uh, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. It is not peace over righteousness. It's righteousness over peace. It's purity. Then peacemaking. Is this making sense? God being a peacemaker doesn't mean we compromise God's truth for the sake of of not saying it because it might offend or it might not align with them. And Paul, and what, is, what does James tell us? You can do this in a sincere way. You can do this in a loving way. I'm not saying take love out of it. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Like We've we got to do this with a loving heart. But a peacemaker does not mean compromising truth. So it's interesting to me how the most fundamental and even private things like sex, the the most uh, vulnerable things of our life are in are up in the forefront of politics. What takes place in the bedroom, and it should be private, is central in politics. Our sex life, the LGBTQ, rede- redefining of marriage. And so, uh, and the same with uh, abortion, right? These are very private matters, but it's in the forefront of politics right now. And there's something spiritual behind all of this. And it's, did God really say? It's the same lie the enemy has always been saying. So when, when Roe v. Wade got overturned, and it's probably not a surprise to most of us that I believe as a pastor, it, and not just because of God's word, but even scientifically, I think scientifically it's easy to prove life begins in the womb. You have every DNA. You know, if if you don't stop that from growing, it will produce, fully form a person before they're ever born. So the unborn is life. And if that's true, then, then if we abort it, we're actually taking life. Now, I, I don't want to go as far as say that it's intentional murder. Because if you don't have the ideology and you bought the lie of the world's wisdom, which will tell you this is convenient and it's not a person. See, they have to impersonalize it, but I would say taking the life is murder. It, it's like when you do that, and I've said this in, in the past. Like, if there, I'm sure when I say that, there's women in the room, you've been through that trauma, but I've never as a pastor um, ever met a woman, and I'm not saying they're not out there, but I've never met one that I've ministered to that said I was glad I did that. Even women who don't believe in God regret it. If you look at the, some of the stats. Now that aside, I, so when Roe v. Wade gets overturned, I'm both uh, glad it happened and saddened by what's going what I knew was gonna take place, which was division. So Pastor Lee made a post about uh, the spiritual, so not even political, and not even trying to pull people from the other ideology into it. He was talking only to Christians. He's saying, "Hey, this is spiritual." And here's the spirit. Like this has always been the work of the enemy. When when he's trying to, when Egypt tries to get rid of all the baby all the baby Jews, trying to eliminate them. This is this takes place with Bethlehem when Jesus is born and Herod tries to kill all baby all the baby boys in Bethlehem. The, the same thing. World War II, the, the annihilation of a people through Hitler through the concentration camp. There's always been the enemy's plan is to annihilate a people. This is a modern day way of it. So he's talking about the spiritual side of it. So I, I, I thought it was interesting to read, and I, I shared it. And, man, did I kick over a hornet's nest. And, it I mean, it just, it sparked so many debates. But the peacemaker, the peacekeeper would say, don't post your views. And, honestly, I'm very conservative with what I post. N- not to be key peacekeeper, but I just know that social media is the worst platform. I want to talk to you because now you can hear my tone. Now you can see my heart. But a social media post feels impersonal and can can even be loving but be heard unloving because you can't hear a tone. You can't see facial expression. You can't see the body language of what's being said. So I'm conservative of what I post. I usually just post things. Not because I'm a peacekeeper, because that's not the platform I want to bring peace through. I want to talk to you. I want to know you. I want to know your story. I want to relate to you. So, however, I made this post, and it, it kicked over. But I can't compromise what I believe that's a pure truth, that's a person. The same way a tadpoles a frog is the same way. The conception in the womb is a person. It just looks different. Number three, what it is, so number one, it's not peacekeeping. It's not compromising God's word for the sake of peace. Righteous standards must not be compromised to make peace with others. Number three, it does not, it's not always achievable. This is the part that I think Christians really get, both of those, do do I not say anything or, Well, I would say it depends on the relationship. Do you have the relational equity? Do you have a voice with them? Do you have permission to talk with them? But it's not always achievable. Sometimes holding a godly standard offends just because it's a standard. You hold to this view of marriage. You hold to this view of identity. And just holding a biblical view offends in itself without even saying anything, and it's unachievable. And so in that post, I had some very, very close person I've known my whole life who doesn't agree or align with my faith, which is fine. Uh, I think we can have different views, and our different views does not diminish yours. If I'm a Christian, you're not. Me being a Christian does not diminish your view. I think I'm, my views the truth. And I think you may be deceived, but it doesn't diminish your view. And so we say, well, so anyway, this person I loved, uh, love posted just harsh things to me personally, uh, publicly. I'm like, wow. But I, I, could, I, had, I had a couple things. I thought about what do I do here. My thought was if I respond, it's the wrong timing, and I can't actually win here. I'm not going to win this argument. They're so deep in their ideology, and I'm in mine too that I know that that I just have to walk away in love. Because not, peacemaking does not always mean it's achievable. If you can achieve it, do it, but it doesn't mean it's possible. I would say, let me say it differently, and this is the big idea today. The big idea today is don't burn bridges, build them. Peacemakers build bridges, they don't burn them. And if I had responded, then I build, then I burn the bridge. If I'm like, you know what, actually, and I and we go into a quick social media war, and I start worrying, I pull out my firing weapons, my fingers, and just start throwing theology, which they actually don't care about. It's not achievable. Romans 12, 17, 18 says, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So everyone's unbelievers, people who don't agree with you, So you have to be careful that it has to appear right to them if it's possible. Not to compromise God's word, but if it's possible. In other words, he's saying it might not be. It might not act. It might not be achievable. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if you can make peace, you do it together, build trust, reconcile and do it with love. If you can't do it and it's not achievable, you walk away in love. Either way, you're acting in love because peacemakers is is love working toward reconciliation. So let's land it here. How do we do this? How do we work through conflict? Number one, always pray and reflect the heart of God. I feel like where I missed it in that post was I wasn't I didn't reflect my heart or the heart of God. I wish I would have said something like, if you're hurting or you're considering or you've gone through an abortion, I want to help you. It's different than, I believe this is wrong. And this is like, there's a tone that people heard that wasn't my heart. I didn't pray through it. I just responded. It was, uh, I I didn't do it the best I could have. The way we work through conflict. And let's just take it away from some political, very personal, you know, in your marriage, in, in a relationship with a coworker. Before you have the conversation, pray, get get God's heart on it and reflect His heart. Matthew five forty three through forty seven. You've heard that it was said, "Love your neighbor and hate your enemy," but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, when I was being called, I was called hateful a couple weeks ago, like publicly. This is hateful, and you're you're leading a cult. <laughs> like okay, uh, I had to pray for them. That was the position I took, like, okay, if I respond, I'm not going to do that publicly. My church and the people I have influence is going to see their pastor just getting a public debate. And I won't do that, but I'll pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. What Jesus is telling us, it is possible to live well with people who have different ideologies than us. And we can actually make peace in it. And we're to pray for them and to reflect our Heavenly Fathers. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, your own people, political views or your own religious views or your own ideology. What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. True children of God reflect the Father's heart. Our attitudes towards others should reflect our relationship with God. Have you ever heard someone say maybe a newborn or even a toddler or even a, a teenager like, man, they look just like their dad or she looks just like her mom. And even with our boys, people say, Joey looks like Jenny. Mike, Michael looks like Mike. And like you can see the, the resemblance. They look just like their father. I, I remember when I was leading worship in Kalamazoo, we would broadcast on cable it was before live stream was a thing. So we would film every service and then it would get edited and get put on cable TV. And when I rehearsed with the band, I would set my microphone up and face the band. So, you know, so I could see them as we're working through rehearsal before the service. And the broadcasting team happened to put up on the screen a shot a, a shot of the stage and like zoomed in on my body, and I see a bald spot on the screen as big as my body, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I am becoming my dad. I, I didn't even know I had it. Literally didn't even know this was like balding back here until I seen it on the screen. Just like my dad. And if you've met my father, we're the same stature. Our mannerisms are the same. We kind of hunch. we kind of there there's a lot of similar manners. Why? Because that's where I've come from. Jen and I, we were just down in West Virginia on our vacation and the people down down there they talk different than we talk in Michigan. Why? Because we we start resembling who we're hanging out with and the culture that we're inundating our life within. So we can know we are his children by the willingness to sacrifice for peace the way Jesus did. Like if God is peace-loving, we should we should pursue that. If God's if whatever God is pursuing, we should be pursuing. Whatever he loves, we should love. I learned to love certain things that my dad loved. My dad didn't like sports, so I grew up not liking sports. I'm, I, di- I didn't make that choice; it just reflected of the environment and the relationship that I that I was in. My dad enjoyed working on cars, so I learned to enjoy. I'm not as good at it as as him, but uh, I learned to like. I I can tinker. On a car, right? Because you learn to reflect who you're around. And when we're working through conflict, we should pray and reflect God's heart. So he tells us, I cause it to rain on the good and the evil, on the righteous and the unrighteous. Because everyone who is not aligning with God yet, they may be in their unrighteousness. He loves them. People of different faith, people of different backgrounds, people of different ideologies, people with different political views and different religious views, and different—they are all made in the image of God. What I love about Christianity is we're the ones—we—we we, we have the same talk about. Um, you see that little symbol? It has like all the different faiths. It has like a Jewish star, Christian cross, the the, the Muslim moon. Uh, yes, coexist. And I think we're the ones, we already do that, but Christians are the ones that really want that. We want you, every, every religion wants the others to convert to them, but we are the ones that are saying, I'm okay if you don't, because I can still love you. I, I, I can still reflect God's love towards you, because peacemakers build bridges, they don't burn them. Build bridges with other people's different faiths, with with atheists. Build bridges. And and so if you're in conflict with, with your spouse, build a bridge. Don't burn it down. If, if your goal is to win the argument, you've already lost. Be a bridge builder. Number two, how we work through conflict is avoid nursing a grudge and own your part. If we're going to work, be a peacemaker. One, we'll pray first. Get God's heart so we reflect it. Two, We avoid nursing a grudge. We don't dwell on the situation. We want to check our attitude and we want to own our part. Isn't it true we naturally think we're always right? The other person's always wrong. And God is always on our side. Just two of us. I'm right, you're wrong, they're wrong, I'm right, God's on my side. It's interesting to me that the Civil War, both the North and the South, quoted the Bible. That rocks my mind. Like, how do you come out with God's word as this is okay? But the Confederate states believed that God was on their side. And the northern states believe God is on our side. How is that possible that we can read the same God's word? Well, the enemy will pervert God's word. But there is a part we should own. We don't always do it right. We naturally think I'm the right, you're wrong. Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You, I love, this is what I was saying from the very beginning of this series. This is going to challenge us. And if it, you know, you want to be in a church where you're scratching your head a little bit to kind of think, is this challenging me? I think this rocks my world. At least I want to say that Jesus would straight up call someone a hypocrite. You First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he does say we can do it, but we first must have a self-examination and self-awareness internally of ourself. Then we can do it. And this actually takes mature believers. Which is why peacemaker is not at the top of the Beatitudes. It's towards the end. It's number eight out of the nine. Why? Because you have to mature as a believer to get to the place where you're able to have self-awareness and self-examination to see the plank in your own eye so that you can objectively judge yourself. We, we must be able to do this. What Jesus is saying is a call to discern, to have discernment over being negative. Don't nurse the grudge. Don't judge what they're doing. Look at yourself first. Own your part first. Don't be the victim. Be the one who reconciles. Let me ask, let me say, do you find it's easier for you to magnify the faults of others and, and then excuse your own? I don't know what it is, but I mean, this is hard, right? But it's true. Do you find it easier to magnify the faults of others while excusing your own? So here's what we do. Start with self-examination. Check your attitude. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Lord, what do I need? How can I make this right? Don't dwell on the wrongs of the other person. What do I need to do to forgive? Take responsibility and own your part. And I've learned when I've owned my part, even if I'm 90% right and 10% wrong cause i could be wrong <laughs> but if i own the 10% somehow the 90% of their wrong loses its power so ask how how can i do this like what what's what's my attitude in this so always pray reflect the heart of god avoid nursing a grudge i don't want to nurse a grudge i don't because then we're just going to get bitter towards our spouse or bitter towards our mom or whoever our co-worker, and says, saying, I think I'm right, but what's an area that I can own? Because I want to be a peacemaker who builds bridges and not one who burns them. Last one is this. Make an effort to move towards reconciliation. Make an effort to move towards reconciliation. Every conflict that you have, there is an opportunity to grow. In conflict, there is an opportunity to learn to love better. And we have to make efforts to move towards that. So, avoiding conflict keeps us from moving forward. But if we will have the boldness and the courage to step, now that we prayed, now that we've had some self examination, and now I'm at a place of maturity to step into this conversation, now I can move towards reconciliation because I've prayed about it. I've asked the Lord. About it. Matthew 18, if your brother or sister sins, go, take the first step, make the first move, go, point out their fault, just between the two of you, why, Be, don't broadcast it, don't post it on social media, don't, uh, don't go telling everyone else in your circle of influence, what so and so did you, because now you're gossiping, and you're, you're damaging your, you and their reputation because you're being seen as someone who can't be trusted because you're talking about your mess in front of everybody. Now, you may need wisdom from someone who's more mature than you. Certainly do that. Another believer, say, hey, help me process this. But go be in between the two of you. Then, if they listen to you, you will, you will have won them over. If they will not listen, take one or two others along So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they still refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, Jesus is not saying be mean to them because they're a tax collector or a pagan. No, we've already read he causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what Jesus is saying, walk away in love. If you can move towards reconciliation, do it and do it in a loving way. If you can't, walk away in love. Because that's what we can still love the pagan. We can still love the tax collector. We can still love people who don't necessarily align or agree with our views. The path to reconciliation, I can't teach this, but I'll say them: Do it because you love them and do it quickly. If you find your place in conflict do it quickly do not let the sun go down on your anger don't nurse that grudge share your desired outcome one of the things I've learned to say this has helped me so much i've I've learned to say was a couple of different phrases but I've learned to say this instead of pointing or making saying your motive was this or Trying to point blame or assign motive or judge their heart, I say, the story I'm telling myself. If I'm in conflict, with, with, even with my wife or even with a staff member here at church, and this happens, I just go to them and say, "Hey, th- this happened. Hey, when you said this, I told myself A, B, and C. When, when you said this, I, 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 you know, I told myself they don't believe in me. They don't believe in my leadership. And this happened during during." 2020 during that thing, and I made a statement about some scientific report that singing is spreading COVID. And when I said it, uh, uh, one of the leaders got really upset. We're not singing in church. And I just went off, and I and I and uh, and I could tell. Okay, I said something that's bothered them, and um, and so I said, "No, nah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying what this report I read." But later I pulled them aside and said, hey, when that happened in a leadership meeting, I told myself you didn't believe in me. I told myself, you think my leadership in this right now is bad. Because I knew that person loved me, and I loved them. So it was a hard conversation. And he said to me, yeah, I did think that. But you know what? We're stronger together because I moved towards reconciliation. And I didn't assign blame. I said, here's what I told myself. I want to own my part, and then we can work through it. So do it because you love them. Share your desired outcome, and deal with the issue, not the person. Respectfully listen. Allow them to be heard. Extend forgiveness, and work towards building trust. Forgiveness is immediate. Trust takes time. Here's what I want to do. I want to I pray for you. I want to pray for two groups of people. and The first one, I just want to start here. Would you bow your heads? If you're here today, and you're in the middle of a relationship breakdown, there, there's conflict in a relationship with a coworker, maybe your parents, a spouse, a sibling, a relative, a friend, um, and you don't know what to do, I, I want to pray for you. I just want to impart wisdom, and I'm not going to embarrass you, out or say, hey, share your story. I just want to pray for you. If you're in conflict and you need wisdom from God, I want to pray for you lift your hand. Okay, Father, you see all those who have lifted their hands. Today I pray in Jesus' name, wisdom. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the right words to be a peacemaker. Lord, that you would give them the right actions of love, the right words, and the courage to have the conversation. Father, I pray that we would not be a peacekeeper withholding, but Father, we would instead step into it and pursue peace. And I pray for the wisdom for the conversation. I pray you would even go before them, Lord, and already start working out the correct, um, just go before them, prepare the hearts for the conversation, let it be well received, and let there be reconciliation. I pray for reconciliation in marriages, reconciliation in friendships, Lord, uh, conflict resolution in our work environments, Father, a strengthening, that, that, and I pray that our love would be apparent. I pray you bless them, Father, and, and help us become peacemakers. The second person I want to pray for today is you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but something told you to go to church today. I want you to know that's not an accident. That was the, that's God pursuing you. If, you're, if you thought, I should go to church today, or maybe you got an invitation, you said, yeah, maybe I should. If you've been thinking about God, he's been pursuing you. He pursues us in our thought life. And you might not have known that that was his voice. The scriptures say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Or maybe you've walked away from faith and you've come in today Because you need to re-engage, you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Either one of those, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray with you. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I'll just quickly lift up your hand. One, you know because something, as I was talking, you thought that's me. Two, your heart's probably pounding. You've been thinking about God this week. He's been pursuing you. Don't let this moment pass you by. Be bold. Three, quickly lift up your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Church, God is in the room. And we're going to pray together. And here's what I would like. I would like us all to say this. And if you mean this, Jesus is coming into your life, or maybe you're reengaging your faith, but Jesus is for you. Hear this. Jesus is for you. If this is a first-time decision, Jesus is for you. If this is a recommitment, Jesus is for you. So we're going to say this prayer, and because we lifted our hand, can we all pray this together? Just repeat after me. Jesus, I invite you into my heart today. I recognize my spiritual poverty, my sin, and I'm asking, for you to save me. Jesus, save me because I believe that you died and rose again for me. I choose today to follow you. and I turn my back on my old life to live a life with you. Teach me how I make you Lord Submit my life to you. In Jesus' name.